0: Okay, before we kick off today's episode, I have a cheeky favour to ask any creative who might be listening. If you love big ideas and would like to come to Sydney to work for the world's most awarded audio specialist agency, please drop me a line at ralph at We're expanding and we'd love to hear from you. Now, on with Don't Judge Me. Ralph? Hey, Melk, how are you? I'm good, mate, how are you? Not too shabby, thank you very much. This is Malcolm Poynton. Now, you may know him as the global chief creative officer at Chail Worldwide, responsible for decades of award-winning work. And I'm half a century old. But I know him as a fellow Kiwi countryman, ex-professional sailor and former male model. One of those might be a lie. As you'll hear in this episode, he's not only a lovely bloke, he also knows what to look for in up-and-coming creative
1: talent. Nothing beats a real passion and, and understanding of how to solve a business problem in an interesting way. How to make yourself
0: invaluable at your agency.
1: Spend more time with clients. And how to maintain
0: a spotless creative track record.
1: I hope the client who bought it never finds me. This
0: is Don't Judge Me. I'm Ralph Van Dyke and this is Malcolm Poynton. Enjoying the warmer climes of Sydney's winter? No, I'm in Christchurch, New Zealand, freezing my arse off. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: first question. What does your typical day look like, Malcolm? My typical day looks like 24 hours and every one of them has something going on in it. All too few of them have sleep. Because the way that we work as a network, time zones tend to not mean much and I could be in any given country on any given day, uh, answering conference calls and doing creative reviews at any given time of the day. So it's really unpredictable. I mean, entirely unpredictable. It changes very, very quickly because of the demands of our global clients and uh, and the way that it affects all of us. I mean, business is going so much faster. We're responding so much more quickly. And also for us as a network, we span everything from our architectural practice MD labs through to kind of tech orientated and digital shops from barbarian group to you know experiential marketing and of course everything that we'd know from social to above the line so there's never a dull moment there's things going on every moment of the day bloody hell
0: okay you may have answered the next question already What's the worst part of the job? <laughs> I've
1: answered it. You're right. It's the fact <laughs> the worst part of the job is that it doesn't, you know, that every hour of the day counts um, because there's something going on on every hour of the day. What do you look for in an up and coming
0: creative? This is a very poignant question, Mr. Poignant.
1: Ah, yeah. I, I think more and more in, there is sort of skills that you just assume that up and coming creatives have in the digital world that we live. So I'm not too obsessed about that. More and more I go back to to an understanding of how to solve business problems actually. You know, and I think that the style and tone in which you do those becomes really really important. So visual acumen and and aesthetic judgment and ability to be really choiceful in their use of words, to be able to clearly communicate things is really important, but nothing beats a real passion and and understanding of how to solve a business problem in an interesting way. And I think that's what clients need more than ever. And what kind of work, then, would you like to see from the next generation of creatives? Well, I obsess over what creative ways we can come up with to connect brands with consumers. And sometimes that might be a film, sometimes it might be an app, sometimes it could be a utility, a service, or a physical space and experience. It's hard to kind of pigeonhole, you know, what we need more or less of in the future, because we need all of these things. I think the thing for me is, the, the best thing and the most brilliant thing is the element of surprise. I mean, that's, that's what really makes the big difference is surprise me. What's your proudest piece of work? That changes frequently. <laughs> this week's? This week's probably would, I would say, the work that we've just done in the last year or so in India with Samsung, which has really helped make a big contribution to, to changing things. Um, in India for the better in different ways. So, aligning with the government's initiative in four different areas, one of which has done very well around the traps, and that is a case study around a girl named Seema Naga, who was the first to go through the Samsung Technical School that was built in India to help educate girls. And that's, you know, something that's hard in many Western countries for people to really understand, but when you can help shift culture to the extent that it gives equal opportunity for women to be educated to the same level as men, that's a pretty rewarding contribution, just as it is to be able to contribute to the Indian society where, you know, three quarters of the people live in the rural um, countryside of India and they are ignored pretty much by services and brands. And, you know, we, we had the most viewed film from an advertising point of view in the world on YouTube last year with over 200 million views for the fact that we were promoting the Samsung service that goes out to the rural community to help in India. And again, it's just helping that community live a better life. Those things are pretty rewarding for me. Can imagine? That's amazing. I've been reading about all, uh, reading all about it. It's a uh, congratulations.
0: It's a fantastic campaign, fantastic idea.
1: Campaign yeah, no, thanks. I'm very proud of that work.
0: Okay, but here's a difficult question. Have you done any work that still haunts you
1: to this day? Uh, yeah, in a positive way. <laughs> probably not the answer you were, uh, you were kind of gunning for. You know, the campaign for Real Beauty for Dove, it, it haunts me in a positive way because, well, I have a teenage daughter, that's one thing, but on the other hand, I don't know probably 70 or more percent of the people who have contributed to that campaign in the last 13-odd years. It's been running 14 years. Why did Dove ask six women with curvy thighs, rounder hips and pear-shaped bums to try their new firming range? Well, testing it on size eight supermodels wouldn't be much of a challenge, would it? What is incredible about it is that I think many hands have touched it, but it's made a a massive difference globally to people's view on what beauty is, and it's made a massive difference to Unilever's share price over the years, and and turned Dove from a smallish soap brand into a more than a billion dollar beauty brand. Well that kind of i guess in a really good way haunts me i think that blesses you
0: constantly i think that's a that's a a campaign that will always that that that'll be with you and as a constant little uh, reminder that it was all been it's all been worth it but is there a is there a sneaky little thorn in your side that you go oh
1: god i really hope no one finds that piece of work um <laughs> i'll I'll phrase it differently and they're about it to- I, I hope the I hope the client who bought it never finds me. We once many years ago in New Zealand did a a film for a cattle drench called JF Cow, and it was about a cattle drench that uh, was a bullet that you fire from a from a kind of gun into the gut of the cattle, <laughs> and it was shot just like the Zapruder footage on Super Eight, and it had a. a it didn't have a cavalcade of cars it had a cavalcade of cattle and it was hugely successful in the local market the farmers thought it was a hoot and it really really worked for ivermec Unfortunately, it didn't work for the CMO. When the American parent company saw it, he lost his job. Ah, good.
0: I love these skeletons in the closet. This is going to be my favourite question. I know it is. I hope he never finds me. I'll make sure of it. I'll call you Stephen Davis for this podcast or some <laughs> other. I'll give you a pseudonym. Good. Thank you for sharing that. I feel I feel I, you may have actually you know, just enjoyed a bit of a cathartic moment there in, in confessing that little sin. So... um you never know. You can thank me later. was funny at the later. time. <laughs> okay, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece
1: of advice when you were first starting out, what would it be? Spend more time with clients. Right. I think the reason I say that is I think that different generations and different agency cultures that take a different approach to this. But at the end of the day, you know, the client-agency relationship is what the work comes out of and if you don't understand the client and you don't have a great relationship with them it's harder to get to where you would like to go and it's probably harder to create that kind of breakthrough for that client because you really need to know what they're like as a person to figure out what they're going to buy you really need to know what they're like as a person in terms of their roles and responsibilities to know what their motivations and drivers are. And we obsess over the brand, and we should. But at the same time, there's a, there's a kind of custodian of that brand who is the client. And if you don't spend enough time with them, it, life's so much more challenging to get to the great outcomes that we need to get to.
0: That's awesome advice. I mean, it's all about relationships. And uh, to know the the challenges of the client on an individual level will help you understand the um, the you know the, where the questions and the feedback and the comments they're giving you about the work is coming from.
1: Yeah, and I think the other thing is that we probably walk right past the fact that throughout history, some of the greatest agencies in the world have begun because of a client-creative relationship. So, you know. Scott and Justin leaving Saatchi in Sydney was motivated in part by a client who they had a great relationship with. You know, Phil Knight and Dan Wyden had an incredible relationship, which founded Wyden and Kennedy and look at the legacy they have and on and on it goes. And I think, you know, Steve Jobs, Lee Clow, great relationship, phenomenal work. And I think that there's a lot to be said for that. And it's probably not really something that young creators are fully versed in or understand enough. And I don't think it matters how old you are as to how much of a relationship you build with the client. There's no reason why people in their first kind of five or ten years in the industry can't have as good a relationship with a client as an ECD or a chief creative officer.
0: Okay, if you were starting out today, would you still want a job in advertising?
1: The best moments of advertising have got to be some of the best moments you could have in your in any career, right? I think, you know, despite all the despite all the increased pressure around the business model of advertising, despite all the increased pressure around getting more work done in less time, you know, when you can contribute so positively and when you can get a kick out of what you do, whether it's you know any of the creative things that we do, and if it, if you see it take hold in in one country or another and resonate with people, and you hear people talking about that, and you see the success of your clients as a result, I, it's got to be very few things in the world that are as exciting as that. If you weren't working in advertising, what would you be doing? I'd be sailing yachts. <laughs> So I, I made a decision many years ago and uh, I was part of the New Zealand yachting team and I, I had to make a choice. Was I going to continue and go to Perth and earn $60 a week as part of, actually it wasn't, it was $30 a week, as part of the very first America's Cup team for New Zealand or was I going to continue the summer job I had in an advertising agency and... Well, it's pretty clear which which path I chose.
0: Where did it all go wrong, Malcolm? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> this
0: podcast is called Don't Judge Me. Now we're gonna get into the sort of the, the pointy bit of the judging bit. Why should someone enter Leah and why is
1: winning a Leah valuable i reckon that the the great thing and, and reason why people should enter Lear is although we have a bunch of different global award shows they are very very different you know some are just driven purely by commercial means or mode um some claim to be global and they're not particularly global um there are those that you know, have their origin so firmly entrenched in one provenance or another that it's that it's always going to be biased that way. And there are others who I think probably just don't draw the caliber of jury that you really need to get great work sort of celebrated. And I think for me, Leah really does things differently. I think the jury's are second to none. It's not a walk in the park for people to get on the jury. I think Leah is really selective around who the jurors are, I think Leah is probably the show that is most, uh, if you like, run by creatives. So the team that lead Leah, I think, you know, are always the first to champion what it is that the jury that they've known for so long, many of the members, you know, have on their mind as to what would make the show better. And that doesn't um, stop at introducing categories like the new when it was introduced. It's, it's as much as the fact that it's judged where it is. It may sound crazy to be in Las Vegas, but the truth of it is it's probably the best place in a way to judge awards. We as jurors have a unique experience there where we're much more connected to each other, much more conversation goes on. Um, and, and I think the quality of the, the work that comes out the other end reflects that. And in addition, I think the other thing is why you'd want to win a Lea trophy is there isn't a taller, better-looking trophy in the business. And if if you uh, and if you're going to enter Leas in China, you get the special red Lea trophy, which and the blue versions, which everyone wants to get their hands on, but no one can very easily do so. So uh, no, I think look the. The bar is really high for Leah, I think the juries are second to none, and I think genuinely the discussion and the quality of discussion around the work that gets to celebrate the right work is pretty unique. Okay, so when you're
0: in the judging room and you're faced with silver, gold and Grand Prix, can you, in a
1: nutshell, describe your criteria? So I think there's obvious kind of rational criteria around whether things are relevant, whether they are fresh whether they have that kind of additional um, element to them that we've not seen before that really surprises us, Um, but there is something that goes beyond all of those, and that is instinct and gut. How does it make you feel? You can judge by the back of your neck, I often tell the jury. Judge. Judge with your neck. Judge
0: that little feeling that you get when you see a piece of work and you think you're partly torn between you bastards and... You
1: amazing people! <laughs> that, I, I love <laughs> yeah. that. I love that. I mean, I'm going to borrow that. I mean, judging by the back of your neck, is a great way of saying it. And the difference between gold and Grand Prix.
0: Have you been in a situation where you've just had to articulate what it is? You know, when you've got we've got the golds and you're looking at them and you're going, there's one piece of work that is just marginally better. And have you? Do you find yourself? choosing it because of the same reasons is there is there a criteria that you can put your finger on i mean it could just be a gut feel as well but is is there something that you feel you can kind of articulate what that might what that x factor might be
1: well i think for me grand prix usually have you know I mentioned earlier this kind of criteria i think all of us in the industry use to filter you know relevance originality and and you know how a piece of work performs also comes into it and I think Grand Prix typically do all of that and get your gut reaction in the right way or they just you know get your heartbeat going that couple of percent quicker and I think so I think it's generally it's the it's the ones that do all of that they, they just they are conspicuous by the fact that they tick so many boxes and mm. and you know, with a giant tick in the freshness box, because that's what sets them apart. I think there's no pattern that you would say, from my point of view at least, there's no pattern that you would say Grand Prix come into a show, you know, um, year after year with one element that sets them apart, other than they stand above the rest for being more complete in some way or another. And definitely, they they are always the work I would say that has a freshness to them Mm. you know there there is in Mm. in those criteria there's craft comes into things as much as you know relevance to audience as much as so how well produced something is how strategically you know well thought through it is how people have responded to it what's it done in the market what kind of response has it done and how it runs counter, which it should always probably to what the convention in the category or in the industry is, are all important things.
0: Yeah, and I think that the Grand Prix for me, I think I think that that last point you've made is, is where I uh, sort of feel that that's the territory I'm looking for something that almost expands the category.
1: Yeah, I think I'd give you actually a really, after that waffling answer, i will give you a really simple answer. The thing that I think is paramount about Grand Prix is that they push the industry forward. Mm. For clients and for agencies. Yeah,
0: it, it, it doesn't so much
1: just raise the bar, it just creates a different bar. Yeah, and, and I, yeah, it does. It just pushes pushes us forward in some way because it's taken things further. What's your strangest judging experience? Oh, wow. Uh, strangest judging experience.
0: And um, you, you don't have to name any names.
1: I'll do that afterwards after the edit. <laughs> <laughs> You know the thing there there are, there are so many ways of answering this. I've felt really embarrassed for people in judging who have tried to really advocate and lobby for their own work and it's just so embarrassing. You you know that it, I find that very very strange. Why you would think that you have the wherewithal to champion your own work you know, brazenly in front of a very experienced jury and and try and convince them that your work's the best work in the show. I think that's very strange.
0: Yeah, no, that's just, yeah, that is just really uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, and there are repeat offenders in that space, but Mm. (laughs) you're going to name them later, you said, so (laughs) I'll go into it. Yeah, yeah, and I'll put a full list up on the website. Yeah, on the other hand, the other very strange judging experience I found was, um, I think... I can't remember how long ago. It was quite a long time ago. Judging uh, cyber at Can, where you spend a week in a dark room, not able to speak to anyone else with headphones on, at a computer, uh, going through you know every entry, mostly websites, but a lot of other you know what were video entries at the time, um, for the fact that it was the most antisocial. <laughs> Judging experience that you could ever imagine, with no discussion really until one final day after about seven days in a dark, cold, air-conditioned room with headphones on. Yeah, no, that
0: is that is w- very odd. Yeah, I can't imagine that. I mean, it's the, it's the discussion that makes it all worthwhile, right? It's if you've spent the few days doing your in-outs and doing your scores, and then you come together and, and you uh, are either reassured that you're not stupid or mad. And the things that you thought were uh, amazing are also what is, is is shared. Or you learn about a piece of work that you had overlooked and and have a complete new appreciation for because of a comment or a, or, or some context. Um, that's what makes it all worthwhile.
1: <laughs> there is another strange judging experience I had, which clearly was not at Leah. It was at, at a show where the jury president uh, said hello to the jury at day one and did not speak one more word throughout the three days of judging until he said thank you very much and goodbye at the end. Are you sure, are you sure he was the judge? <laughs> he was the president of the jury. <laughs> he just wasn't like the uh,
0: the waiter? No <laughs> he should have been. Oh wow yeah that that is uh, that's weird. He had a nice holiday I'm sure. Yeah right maybe the, maybe he was told just just keep an arm's length don't feel you've got to sway the judging in any way. Just uh, be completely impartial. And he thought, "Well, my opinions are so strong. I just have to. Um, I just have to keep
1: my words to a minimum." I think he might have been channeling his influence over a run. Yeah.
0: Okay. So those were the easy questions. We now have eight questions. This is the quick fire round, and you're allowed to pass on two questions. And you don't know how difficult they're getting. So you may think the first couple are are difficult and pass on them, but you then have to answer the rest. (laughs) Fun. Okay, here we go. Strap yourself in. I'm going to start easy. (laughs) Do you keep a portfolio, a a reel of yourself? If so, what's in it? No. Number two, what would you say if your kids wanted to get into advertising? Have fun. How many people have you fired? Zero to 10, 10 to 20, 20 plus? (coughs) pass (laughs) number four have you had to step on anyone to get where you are today I'm under six foot so probably (laughs) okay question five how often do you concept and actually write ads these days once a week once a month once a year uh mm, once a year okay number six what's the most expensive thing you own that's not your house art one piece N- many is there one piece of all the things you or, or, or all your pieces that you think okay that was that was me really being
1: extravagant a uh, uh, Michael Smithers painting from New Zealand okay okay I feel your pain that's awesome though
0: number seven. How much did you earn in your previous job? Not enough.
1: Oh
0: Will I let that one through? All right. seeing this is the first one, I'm gonna let that I'm gonna let that one go and that's not a pass you did actually answer it. but I'm gonna to have to think about my, um, my question, my phrasing for the next one because it's a, that's a slippery answer. I like it. Okay, last question. When are you going to retire and make room for one of these liaison delegates? In your 50s, in your 60s, or in your 70s. Oh, so it's a multi-choice. Well, if you, it you know, could be a fourth option. I was trying to make it easier.
1: I don't have any plans to retire. I might start again and learn from the creative liaisons. Okay, might ask them for a job. Yeah. So no plans to retire yet? None yet. Cool. Well, that wasn't too bad. No, but I did give you one silly answer. <laughs> <laughs> I should clarify. I would never consciously. I, I've never stepped on anyone to do what I do. I think it's an it's an that's an unusual question because I think the mind goes into. Uh, do you, do you mean? Yeah, I don't know exactly what the question means. Well, okay. It
0: means have you have you done something in order to get where you are today that you kind of regret having to do because it meant kind of stepping on someone
1: or or. Oh. No. Even though I'm under six foot, I don't feel the need to do that. (laughs) Maybe you've stepped through people, like between
0: people. Uh, No, that's awesome, Malcolm. Not at all. It's great to talk to you. Thanks, Malcolm. You've been an awesome legend. Thank you very much. Hey, look forward to catching up. Thanks, Ralph. If you enjoyed my chat with Malcolm, please rate it, share it, and maybe even write us a cheeky review. Next time on Don't Judge Me... The amazing thing about this place is that they had absolutely zero regard for copyright law. They just did not give a damn. And we would use the Star Wars theme song in our work. It's Matt McDonald, a man who once would laugh in the face of copyright law, but is now the law-abiding group executive creative director at BBDO New York. Meet Matt next time on Don't Judge Me. Don't Judge Me is an eardrum production for the London International Awards with help from Jesse Williams, Kate Wiley, Tristan Viney, Paul Taylor and David McDonald. I'm Ralph Van Dyke. See you soon.